welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's reading is from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he had said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. These were three people living in a time of deep darkness, in a world under, under the influence of brutal powers. And each of them found themselves caught up in God's big story in ways they would never have imagined possible. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do, to do is to take a deep dive into the story of Zechariah. Okay, we're going to try and get under his skin, into his shoes. We're going to try and understand 
Zechariah's experience of the whole event narrated in Luke chapter 1. Looking at Zechariah's story, Zechariah's prayer, briefly, and then Zechariah's hope. And you might just find that the story has a claim on you too. So, let's meet Zechariah. Zechariah is an old man. He's a faithful husband, and he's a Jewish priest. And he's important in the community that he's lived in. But, like all of us, he has his own story of pain and disappointment. Life has not worked out for Zechariah in the way that he would have hoped. He and his wife, Elizabeth, they have no child, which means no heir, which means no legacy. Verse 6 of Luke chapter 1 tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, which is the only sight that matters. Because you see, childlessness in that day would have called into question this couple's moral standing in the sight of the people at least. Some would have assumed that behind their lack of a child was a lack of God's favour. Reputation, questionable. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Maybe you too feel that people have the wrong reading of you for better or for worse. Maybe people think of you more harshly or maybe more highly than they ought. Both can be a burden in their own way. People look down on you or people look up to you. Either way, people look and people judge. But God knows. He knows you. You are completely known. He knows your heart. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. He knows you. That's a fearful knowledge for someone to have. To to see right into the heart of me, nothing hidden. And yet with the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being so completely known is in fact good news. There is no darkness within us that's outside of the reach of his dawning light. There is no hurt he cannot heal. There is no distance too great for him to find us. Zechariah was known. And two weeks ago, we heard the story of one of the most privileged moments in Zechariah's life. He was chosen by Lot to burn incense before God in the temple. The dice had fallen kindly for him. Now, this was a huge deal. The Jewish Mishnah explains that priests could only burn incense in the most holy place of the temple once in their lifetime, and many of them were never chosen. So this was Zechariah's moment, a holy moment. This old man, with his life of joy and sorrow, representing the people before the presence of God in the most holy place. And we read in verse 12 that as Zechariah is burning incense in the temple, by the altar appears an angel of the Lord. Come from the very presence of God to that moment to meet Zechariah. And what was this old man's response? What would your response be? Tells us in verse 12 that he was gripped with fear. 
That is the only reasonable response when in the presence of the holy. We go through life so caught up in our little world, don't we? We have very concrete concerns which occupy our awareness. Jobs to do, presents to buy, bills to pay, food shop again, places to be, car needing petrol, buses running late. Everyday life is all-consuming. Everyday life is really good. It's God's gift. Everyday life can be hard. Everyday life can be frightening. What are you afraid of? Wars? Disease? The economy? The opinion of others? Zechariah knew life as we do. But Zechariah is confronted in this moment by a reality bigger than himself. It's like the curtain has been pulled back and heaven and earth, the veil between them has gotten very thin. And he realized he is in the presence of the holy and holy fear grabs him. God is really there. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The angel speaks to Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Now, on the one hand, I think, easy for you to say, Gabriel. You know, you're not an old man in the presence of an angel. And yet, we read in the scripture again and again those precious words. When human beings come to realize their smallness and their fragility and their unworthiness before God, God's word is fear not. God's word is grace and welcome. Of course, to those who see themselves as big and impressive and worthy, God's word is judgment. Judgment from that self-destructive delusion. To Zechariah, the angel says, fear not. And then he says, a son. A son will be promised, is promised to Zechariah and to Elizabeth in their old age. And Gabriel says in verse 14 of Luke chapter 1, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. The son promised to them was one who would grow up to be called John the Baptist. Now, it's fair to say that John was not the kind of person you would generally invite around for dinner. Yeah? Pretty intense. But the angel says that he will be great in the sight of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, commissioned like the prophet Elijah to make a way for the Lord, to prepare the people for his coming, speaking uncompromisingly of our need to repent. John the Baptist has been called the last of the prophets and the first of the witnesses. For he came not only to prepare the way for the Lord, but also to announce he is here. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he will go on to say, pointing to Jesus. Zechariah's encounter with the angel came with the message that he and Elizabeth would be swept up along with their child into God's big story. Overwhelmingly great promises were given to them. Do God's promises ever seem overwhelmingly great to you? It's kind of hard to take hold of, maybe hard to believe. Zechariah asked the angel, 
how can I know that this will happen? How can I be sure? I mean, I'm an old man. Elizabeth's an old woman. How can I know? This is the same objection that Abraham spoke in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. Another old man promised an unlikely son who would be caught up in the big story of God. Zechariah doubts. Do you ever doubt? I know I do. Zechariah's words are all too familiar. How can I be sure? We want certainty, not trust. We want to know, to be sure, to be certain. Because certainty, we think, gives us a degree of control. Yeah? In my folly, I think, I'd be more comfortable if I was in control of this situation. Less trust, more certainty. Again and again, the Lord has has had to prize me away from my weddedness to certainty in my life. I am not in control. Truth is, I am subject to all kinds of powers greater than I, and there is one that's higher than them all. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. The God of Zechariah. The God of Elizabeth. My God. Yours. Zechariah's doubt consists of bringing himself into the center of vision such that he becomes bigger than the promises of God. All he can see is himself. In a short space of time, he loses the fear of the Lord and replaces it with regard for himself. All I can see is me. We're so prone to that. And the effect is, you exchange a fear that liberates from a fear that imprisons. You exchange a knowledge of God for a preoccupation with self. Thinking goes from, he can, to, I can't. From God says, to, what if. And that's an anxious place to dwell. Yet still, God is faithful. Gabriel tells Zechariah in verse 19, I am Gabriel, I stand before God, and I've come to bring a word to you. And the word will still come to pass in its proper time. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 1 makes that abundantly clear. The amazing amazing truth is that Zechariah's doubt could not thwart God's plans and purposes, and Zechariah's doubt could not separate him from his part in it. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. And yet, his doubt does leave him speechless. He is held by one greater than himself. But the angel says, you, you will not speak now until this promise comes to pass. He's mute. And so his freedom is limited because he lost the fear of God. Lose the fear of the Lord and you will lose something. You will lose perspective. You will lose the freedom to fully enjoy what God's calling you into. And yet God is faithful to his word. Elizabeth does conceive. and Baby John the Baptist will be born and a way will be made for the Lord because in the end, it is God's power and not human capacity on which the whole story depends. He's the faithful one.
This is good news for you and for me. Good news if you are like Elizabeth, have unwavering faith. Good news if you are like Zechariah, prone to doubt. You see, old Elizabeth does give birth to the promised son, and we read about that in verse 57, a miracle, and the neighbours rejoice with her. It says that in verse 58. Because they all sense, the community around them sense, that they're being caught up into something that God is doing. And they know not exactly what. There's no certainty here. The world around them is still pretty dark. They are not in control. But there is a trust growing in the community around Zechariah and Elizabeth that God is on the move. A sense that he is doing something. His story is in advancing. And they're getting swept up into it. An oasis. God is on the move amongst us as well. He is. We are caught up in his story also. It is advancing. And people are coming to know him amongst us. We've seen that this term in wonderful ways. And all God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. We are his people called to belong to him for the good of the world. And you have a part to play. And you might not have much certainty about it all. And that's okay. The world remains a dark place. And sometimes it's not exactly clear what is going on. We're not in control, but know this, God is faithful. He is above it all. Back to Zechariah's story. The time comes for for Elizabeth's baby to be named. And she is in tune with God, and she knows his name is John. But there are some busybodies in the community who are not quite on the same page, but they're still caught up in the promises of God and what he's doing. And yet they say, to no, 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 not John, because there's no one in your family named John. Zechariah sounds like a good name. What do you think, mute Zechariah? Should we call him Zechariah? And Zechariah gets a tablet and writes on the tablet, and he says, his name is John. Not his name will be John. Not, I think maybe John. The name's already given. God's given the name. His name is John. And at that moment, as Zechariah owns the promises which came to him, speech floods out of him again. His his mouth is opened, his tongue is loosed. And after nine months of speechlessness, what pours out is this prophetic praise of God. I wonder what would come out of my mouth if I couldn't speak for nine months. The Spirit of God is so at work in this man. What came out was this prophetic word. And we're told that fear came on all those who lived around them. Verse 65. And so you see we've come full circle. Back to the fear of the Lord. God present amongst his people. God at work. God in control. His promises coming to pass. True to his word. And the people caught up in the story of God. And so are we. We to whom that story has now come. Our position is one of smallness and yet of great significance because God has come to us. Holy fear. For Zechariah, it was all too much. He breaks into this prophetic 
prayer, full of joy and faith, declaring God's future as if it was already here in the present. He, he could see the end of the story right in the middle of it. <laughs> so I just want to pause the story for a moment to tell you about two Greek words that help us to see what's going on right now. Those are two Greek words that both have to do with time. The words are chronos and kairos. And in her excellent book, little advent book, Tish Harrison Warren teaches about this. Chronos is the succession of time as we, as we experience it, a linear movement where seconds roll into minutes, roll into hours, into days, into weeks, into years. That's kind of history as we mark it. Time marches on. Boy, don't we know it. Another Christmas. A little bit grayer this year. That's Kronos. Time keeps moving. But there is another Greek word for time, and that word is kairos. And kairos describes the fullness of time, the time of eternity, God's realm. And this Kairos time appears to us in watershed moments when heaven's perspective breaks into the history of the world. As if from the standpoint of the end of all things, we see an imprint in history of God shaping the whole human story to his good ends and purposes. And that is what is happening here in Zechariah's prayer. And in a sense, that's what happens every time we gather on a Sunday or in small groups to sing God's praise and hear God's word and take the bread and the juice of communion. That's a kairos moment, interrupting our chronos with the bigger story of who God is and what God's doing. They reorientate us those moments. And God speaks of this through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46 verse 10, where he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. This is what's happening to Zechariah at the birth of John the Baptist. Kairos is breaking in. He's seeing the end from the beginning. He's seeing the present moment of history in the perspective of the fullness of time. Kronos gives way to Kairos, and it's as if the future has already arrived. Zechariah could see that he was on the eve of the advent of the Messiah's coming. The Virgin Mary was already carrying God the Son. And Zechariah could see that if Christ comes, the world is saved. In Oasis, Christ has come. Christ has lived amongst us as one of us. He has been crucified, overthrowing the enslaving powers of this present age. He is risen. He is here now by his spirit, and he will come again. And God will make all things new. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Kairos. We've hardly time to look at Zechariah's prayer. I'd encourage you to read it. Zechariah 1, 68 to 79. Here are seven things you will see in Zechariah's prayer. You will see that his prayer is a celebration, that God is the active agent in history. He is in control. Verse 68 says, he has come. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation. 
which is picture language for a mighty salvation. You'll see in Zechariah's prayer number two, a celebration of God's faithfulness. He spoke by the prophets long ago, verse 70, that's Kronos. He remembered his holy covenant, verse 72, that's Kairos. True to his word, what he promised he will do. You will see, number three, a celebration of God's rescue from the powers that enslave. Zechariah speaks of salvation from our enemies in verse 71. Not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, sin, death, the devil, defeated by Christ the Lord, who was and is and is to come. You will see, number four, an embrace of God's purposes. As Zechariah says in verse 74, we are saved so as to serve him without fear. Because fear of the Lord frees us from all other fears. It does. It frees us to pursue his kingdom. Even this week, there have been various situations I've been involved with at work where there was an opportunity for fear By God's grace, he showed me something more of who he is, which freed me from fear so that I might just have things orientated right in the knowledge of God. Number five, you will see an embrace of God's big story in Zechariah's prayer. John the Baptist will prepare a way for the Lord, verse 76. He'll proclaim the forgiveness of sins, verse 77, in repentance. An old monk called John Clemachus says that repentance is the daughter of hope and the refusal of despair. Repentance is the daughter of hope and the refusal of despair, precisely because it is not about our capacity to change. It's about deliverance that comes from outside of us and catches us up in its wake. You will see in Zechariah's prayer a celebration of God's light over darkness. As he says in verse 78, the rising sun comes to us from heaven. That's Christ. Come to shine on those who live in darkness. That's us. And you will see, finally, God's peace is the end of the story. Verse 79. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is peace. And in a war-torn world, from the perspective of Kairos, we can, even in this moment of Kronos, say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And we can say it as if it is already here because he has spoken and he is faithful. Andy and the band, could you come up? Zechariah's story. Zechariah's prayer. What is Zechariah's hope? It's the same as ours. His hope is that he was caught up in God's big story. A story not dependent on human capacity. A story dependent on the faithfulness of God. And the story is all about Jesus. Jesus is enough. Full stop. He has come 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem in the dead of night. He comes to us now by his spirit. He will come again in glory to bring peace promised long ago. And it is as good as done because he has said it.
We're going to worship him together. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing now the words of the Apostles' Creed. We looked at the Apostles' Creed earlier on in the year. And as we do, let us sing this as a prayer and a statement of faith that says, this, all of this that we're going to sing, it's as good as done, however dark it seems at the moment in the world around us, precisely because God is faithful and God has spoken. And Kairos is ultimately controlling our chronos.